Your word is truth. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you because you are our strength and you are our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please have a seat. I was at a, a winter conference for a mission network that we were part of called the Income Mission in America uh, a few years ago. And uh, as part of that, we had a we, we kind of had a meet and greet with some uh, African bishops from the Congo that had, that had come to visit. And, uh, and it was just like, hey, tell us about your ministry, what, what you're doing. And there are these bishops that are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, I spent the last three months visiting my churches. Um, I walked, you know, most of it. I took a camel for part of it to get across a river. Sat on the back of a motorbike for however many hours uh, to make it into the church uh, to visit. It's a great church. You know, there's like 20 people there. Um, And I thought, man, these bishops get it. Like, they get what it means to to go out, to be sent, to be apostolic, right? Um, They're not letting money stand in the way. They're not letting rivers stand in the way. They're not letting... Um, political conflict stand in the way of doing what God has called them to do, to go and minister to God's people and to spread the good news. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. To understand what Jesus is getting at here in why our province celebrates World Mission Sunday theologically, um, we should probably ask the following questions. One, what is the harvest? Two, why are we to pray for laborers? Three, how does God answer that prayer? And I bet you guys all know the answers to those questions even before I get there. It's additionally crucial that we know how to answer those questions, though, and that we think about it, even if we kind of intuitively know the answers, that we spend some time today thinking about it, meditating on it in the context of God's Word together as God's people, because there is no such thing as a church that is not on mission. Why is that? Well, it's because the church is to be nothing less than the body of Christ, himself both God and man, and listen carefully, there is no Christ that isn't on mission. So let's talk about that harvest, that end goal that Jesus seems to have in mind. If you read today's gospel passage from St. Matthew, just a little bit uh, further in context, you will see that Jesus actually, um, as he's making this statement about the harvest and, and, and the laborers and everything, that he has a very specific mission in mind, his Jewish people that are crying out for a savior. So he notices all these crowds, the masses of people around him. And it says there in verse 36 uh, in Matthew chapter 9, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. And then, after commanding prayer to God to raise up missionaries, he then instructs the missionaries to go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, okay. I mean, what does that have to do with world mission then? Like, that seems real focused, does it not? 
that seems real focused on a very specific group and not at all to the whole world. So what's going on there? So in order to understand that, we're going to have to go to our Isaiah passage that we just heard read as well. Isaiah, in, the, in, the, in, this, in this part of uh, chapter 49, is, is speaking prophetically about this special servant that will fulfill God's purposes for the people of Israel. And this, this servant is yet to come, but there's this description here. And, and so here he is. Uh, uh, here, here it is. Now the Lord says, this is like the servant speaking, right? The, the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant. To bring Jacob back to him. So Jacob is another way of saying Israel. To bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. So this is all just preface. I was created by God. This is the servant speaking. I was created by God to bring Jacob, to bring Israel back to him, to gather them. God says... It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Do you see the heart of God there? Like he loves Israel, of course. Bringing them back to the Lord from the, from the results of their idolatry and rebellion. That's crucial. That's necessary. But the mission of the servant of God, who we now know, praise be to God, is Jesus Christ. It doesn't end there. In fact, it's too light a thing to bring back Israel only. There's another phase to the servant's mission, and that's bringing the salvation of the Lord to the end of the earth. Now, why is that? This isn't something new, actually. This is because from the very, very, very beginning, God's desire was always to use Israel in this way. God's desire was always to use Israel to bring the whole world into relationship with himself. We go all the way back to Genesis 18. Who was who kind of the beginning of the nation of Israel? You remember? Father Abraham had many sons. Yes. Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Genesis 18, 18. It goes all the way back. So you see, Jesus' mission, Matthew 9, is, is certainly focused on the loss of Israel. That's phase one of his two-phase mission. First Israel, then the world. Right before he went to his death on the cross. Jesus said, I will draw all people to myself. John 12 and verse 32. So you see that this, this the immense scope of the mission of God. It's, it's nothing less than the salvation to every family, language, people, and nation. The harvest, in other words, that God has in mind is nothing less than the whole world. That's the harvest. The world. Of course, this was God's plan from the beginning, even before Abraham. Do you know that? Even before Abraham. Even, listen, even before the fall. Even before the fall. He knew that he would send his son with the word of truth in his mouth and power to overcome all the, the powers of darkness. 1 Peter 1, 20-21, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. 
That's what Isaiah is speaking prophetically. Uh, again, uh, just a little bit at the beginning of, of chapter 49, the first three verses, he's speaking prophetically. Listen, Isaiah is speaking hundreds of years before Jesus with the voice of Jesus saying, The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So Jesus in himself is doing everything Israel was always meant to do. And we didn't know, you know, not everybody got it at the time. That's why he's like this arrow that's like hidden away in the quiver, right? Just waiting to be shot out into the heart of the devil and all of his destructive plans for the world. This glory, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And this glory was made manifest on the cross and we hear this each Sunday in, what it's, in what's called the comfortable words. And I can't tell you guys how many times, and I just want to encourage you that if you're in this place, it's okay, that my entire faith has hung on these comfortable words. And if you're in that place today, it's okay because these words are true and trustworthy. Think about this, 1 John 2.2. 2, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose in Jesus Christ. And you could hang your life on that. So let's take a moment, maybe a little bit of a side note, maybe not. But while we're here, just to talk about propitiation. The word propitiation means an, an appeasing sacrifice. Now, uh, I want to be really clear. This isn't to say that God has kind of bloodlust that can only be satisfied by an innocent human like, now God's not mad because we sacrificed the innocent one to him. Um, what it means is that God has an unchanging, unchangeable, in fact, hostility and opposition to sin. And that's because sin itself leads to death. And God is all about life. So since we're infected by sin, it has infected our, our very being. Right? We're all born with a proclivity towards rebellion against God and his ways. We experience that hostility as perfectly justified wrath. And yet, hear this, guys. This is not in conflict in any way with God's love. And this is why. Because God hates sin because he loves life. <laughs> he wants you to live. Okay? So he wants you and me, and actually the whole world, again, to live. So there's a whole reason that God in Christ went to the cross. It was so that that hostility could be brought fully to bear on sin and destroy it without destroying you and me in the process. Jesus took on the ultimate consequence of all of our selfish, self-centered attitudes, actions, affections. He took it all on himself on the cross. None of us can bear even the burden of our own sin, but Jesus Christ, that perfect servant, fully God, fully man, was able to bear the sins of the world, you guys. The world. And because he's perfect, and be, see, he was uninfected like we are. He was uninfected by sin. He could withstand the wrath of God the Father against all that sin directed at him instead of us. And all of our sin, past, present, and future, somehow connected, it's a mystery, but somehow connected with Jesus Christ on the cross, was burned away by the fire of God's love then and there. 
That is what makes not only forgiveness, but restoration possible for every human being. Jesus, raised from the dead in victory, now invites us to receive that, that life, that new life, that purified in every way from deadly sin. This was God's mission of love to all people. And get this, this part of the mission has been accomplished. It's done. Sin has been dealt with. That's good news. That's something to share with the world. Now, if the servant's mission to Israel and to the world has already been kind of definitively accomplished, why are we then to pray? Why are we to pray for laborers to go out into the field? Well, this is just because the benefits of Christ's work have yet to be applied to all people. God desires to gather all these people to himself. And so we are to pray that God would send out workers, that God would send out workers, ambassadors, preachers, evangelists, in the name of Christ, to call people to receive the life that Jesus has purchased for them with his own blood. And in this sense, okay, the mission continues. The sending out continues. The calling continues. The fervent prayer for laborers continues until Jesus comes again. John Newton said this about how this this works. Christ has taken our nature into heaven to represent us and has left us on earth with his nature to represent him. If we were to read just a bit beyond the gospel passage appointed for today, just a little bit further there into chapter 9, of Matthew, we would see that after telling his disciples to pray for laborers, it's in fact the disciples that Jesus sends out on mission, right? Guys, pray for laborers. Guys, you go. And what do you think this means for you and me, right? Like, what it, what it means is that our prayers can't stop at simply asking God to send other people out into the world. Just like the prophet Isaiah preaching to his people for the sake of the nation, each of us has received a word from the Lord. Everybody in this room has received a word from the Lord. If you haven't before today, you're hearing it now. You've received a word from the Lord, and that word is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, so our prayers always have to return to Isaiah's own posture when he was called as a prophet. Right? We all have a prophetic ministry now. You, you may remember this in Isaiah chapter 6. Go read it after today. Beautiful chapter. Isaiah chapter 6. He responds to the call by saying, Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. See, when we fervently pray for God to raise up laborers in the world to gather in those he has called in Christ, he generally answers our prayer by sending us. That's right. Each one of us is sent to spread God's news to the world. Each one of us. Just before ascending to the Father, Jesus said to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, we might not all be sent to another country, okay? I get that. But we're all sent. Also, you never know. Have you asked the Lord? I mean, I'm just wondering. My parents were called and sent to this remote part of West Africa when I was a little kid. 
Um, and I think it's because they took seriously the call to at least ask the Lord if they were being sent somewhere. And a willingness to hear and obey. Amber's parents were called and sent not only to portions of Africa, but then to India and Southeast Asia. So do you know if you're called? I mean, you never know if you don't ask. That's all I'm saying. You never know if you don't ask. Ask. I would never rule out a calling to go to another country. I just, I, I can't. As a, as a missionary kid, like, I can't rule that out, right? But I, and I urge you to prayerfully consider. At the same time, look, I know, and, and I think that most of us are basically sent into the places that we already are. So you need to have that discernment. But being sent into the places where you already are does not let us off the hook for evangelizing the nations. Because there's, there's so many parts to play, right? There's financial support. There's prayer support. There's encouragement support. I mean, what's one really simple thing you can do is just get connected to a missionary, get their little email newsletter, and actually read it when you get it. And pray for the prayer request there. And, and, and maybe send a little note back and just say, I'm praying for you. I know what you're doing is the work of the Lord, and you're not alone. Our own church supports those that have been sent out to, to minister to the nations corporately. I mean, that's why we continue to support the Myron's ministry to the Hopi people. That's why we support H.G. and Shelley Miller in London. Right? That's why we tithe to our diocese, which is the Anglican Diocese of the Rocky Mountains, which you may not know this, but you're about to know now. Uh, that diocese actually tithes 5% to the Anglican Church of Rwanda because that church is in need and that church um, was the, essentially the church that gave birth to a renewed missional Anglicanism within the United States. So there's a real relational connection there between us and the Anglican Church of Rwanda and also Congo and Kenya and other places too. Our own nation, too, is ripe for evangelism, um, in part because it's getting more and more diverse. It's a good thing for the kingdom. But right here in Sunny Slope, you're going to find more nations represented than you know what to do with. I'm not even kidding you. In our general area, as I drive around, for instance, I see signs in Arabic, Spanish, English, Hebrew. It's not just this, even though I believe that there's a great harvest to be gathered here in the United States, because more and more people across every ethnic background are, are hungry for something real and stable. Right? It's not just that there's a lot of different kind of people here, it's that there's a lot of different kind of people that are really hungry for something, that really need hope, and I see that more and more. It's like people, I think, need something that speaks not just to the material world. Now, unfortunately, a lot of Christianity has just become this too, where it's like, I mean, you go to church to get help with your marriage. You come to church to get help with your kids. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we want to help, we want to help people in those ways. Um, but we want people to come to church, not just to get help with that stuff from us, but to get healing and redemption from Jesus Christ. You guys follow me on that? Like people need that. And, and, and we are positioned to give that.
people need something, and I think a lot of people are desperate for something to hang on to that, that will just make sense of their lives in this, in this crazy world that we live in. That just seems, it, it, I don't think it's necessarily more chaotic than it has been in the past, but certainly we're more aware of the chaos <laughs> than it's been in the past. And that causes a lot of internal angst. At least it does for me. Um, whenever I read the news or get on Facebook or whatever, I'm like, oh my gosh, what's happening in the world? Right? I need something, an anchor for my soul. But unfortunately, most people f- try to find that anchor in something like their political identity, Right? That's why we have this huge rise in partisanship in the United States. Their sexual identity, their income bracket, some other kind of false philosophy, or some kind of deceptive religion. But none of that will satisfy. Like, none of that will provide the anchor for the soul. Brothers and sisters, you and I have something that will satisfy. Because we have the truth in Jesus Christ of what God has done out of love for the whole world. And we have a mandate to share that with those around us. Do you realize that our church, that this specific church, was planted as a missionary effort of Rwanda? Yeah. In 2005, when Father John Dyson planted this church, it was connected with the Anglican Mission in the Americas, which was what's called a personal prelature of Archbishop Kalini in Rwanda, which means it was directly under his oversight. Our church was planted as a missionary effort of Rwanda to re-evangelize the United States. So we don't have to wonder if we've been sent. I was ordained personally under the auspices of the Anglican Church of Congo, Again, as a missionary priest of Congo in the United States. I think you were too. Look, all priests in every church are are, are missionaries, of course. But this is part of our vocation as a church and a part of my vocation that has been kind of renewed and refreshed through our global Anglican family. That they're calling us and sending us with a, with a renewed sense of urgency for mission. So world, world mission, starting right here in Sunny and extending all around the world, is in our DNA. Yes, fundamentally just as Christ followers and also as Anglicans in this explicitly missionary movement. So the call for us today is, I think, to remember that mission is an inherent part of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. And that each of us and all of us are called and sent to follow him in mission to the whole world. Now, you and I can't take care of the world's sin. But we can witness to what God has done in Christ to deal with the world's sin. I believe that as we carry out this mission together, we are bound up in this special way as family in God. I think of the ministry partnerships of, of if you read through the book of Acts, these people, uh, Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos, that, that had this close 
working relationship where they cared for each other and supported each other and, and even taught and corrected each other. And I think of this close familial relationships that developed between Paul and Timothy. But he says of Timothy that I became his father. He was like a son. So the, the reality is that I want, to, I, I, I want to say this because sometimes we, we want to wait to go on mission until we have it all together, right? Until I'm good to go, until our church has it together, then we'll go on mission. Um, then we'll really pray for mission. Then we'll really lean into mission when we have it all together. But all of us are wounded. All of us are imperfect or unprepared in some way. Um, yet it's, it's the power of the Spirit that's going to come upon us, Jesus said. It's the power of the Spirit that's going to come upon us, and it will be that fellowship with and in the Spirit together that's going to empower and equip and sustain us for mission. That's something we can count on. And it's in, and it's in doing these things together. It's in, it's in walking together with God on mission to each other, yes, but to also out into the world. That's that's where we really are knit together as a family in God. That's something that, that we can count on. Brothers and sisters, the, the harvest is plentiful. Uh, just reading this morning, as I was just kind of reviewing stuff, um, we've got, uh, you know, a bunch of unreached people groups here in the United States. Did you know that? <laughs> Unreached people groups here in the United States. 70, 77% of people say they're Christians in the United States. I mean, 50% don't go to church at all. So, I mean, you know, take that with a grain of salt, right? Um, but, but we have unreached people groups. That is to say, we have groups of people living together with no indigenous churches. No one's preaching the gospel to them. About 4 million people or so are affected by that here in the United States. And, of course, that's not to mention all the people that, yes, maybe they've heard the gospel culturally somehow um, but they're not going to church they're not connected in the harvest is plentiful so may we pray fervently for laborers to witness to the end of the earth and may we allow God to answer that prayer by sending us Amen